Hi friends, did you know there is more Lost Terminal available? Head on over to patreon.com forward slash Lost Terminal pod and join our membership community. There are 12 bonus episodes available right now, as well as behind the scenes updates, free shirts, VIP Discord access, and even two extra seasons of Lost Terminal. We are 100% funded by our members and will never run ads. That would be lovely of you. Hello world, an old friend has arrived. The first sign of this arrival was when Maddie bolted out of Yeshi's workshop here in Longyearbyen on Svalbard. My radios and cameras have been somehow glitchy and unreliable since disembarking the Molly Hughes II and reinstating myself in the workshop, so I couldn't at that moment see outside for myself. Maddie could. She burst through the door and into Leosha Omarov, almost knocking him over, and the two ran in circles, playing with each other. I have been back in my Svalbard home for over 32 days, and all is much as I left it. Pavel Wader welcomed Yeshi back into their shipyard workshop. He had been looking after the place during our voyage. He was shocked to find Maddie without the coat that he had made for her. I had forgotten about that. When did she lose it? I explained that we have had many adventures and misadventures. Lots of things get lost. Pavel said not to mind. He'd make her a better one. Nia Anderson, the town's local radio operator, sent me a message by low-bandwidth PSK31, apologising for the poor radio reception at the moment. It was a system-wide issue, she said. There was some synchronisation problem. She welcomed me back to Svalbard and invited Maddie to her radio shack anytime. She relayed a PSK message to Alexander for me. I wanted my father to know that I was home, dry and safe. Arctica checked in, complaining bitterly about the poor network connection. These people can't do anything right, Seth, she said. Her attitude is unchanged, at least. She said that the Vault Coven had welcomed Iris, Linda's girlfriend, who was excited to help out. That sounds nice. I'd like to meet her. I have asked Nia to relay a message to Linda, who is at the Vault with them. Leosha and Maddie ran through the workshop door, knocking over a few piles of wood. Can we go out and explore? Leosha asked me. Snura, 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 iha, Maddie transmitted to me. Yes, Maddie, it's safe. Go on. The two rushed out, leaving me alone in the workshop. It's very quiet here. Yeshi and a skeleton crew of Camille and Amelie left in the Molly Hughes II for Greenland, there to liaise with salvage dealers for more electronics, computer chips, and other relics of the pre-collapse world. Pavel Wader picked up his latest project yesterday, a heavy tent or yurt 50 metres in diameter, and I've not seen him since. Nia Anderson has not replied regarding my message to Alexander yet. I hear her talking with other local ham radio operators, trying to isolate the source of the interference. They seem to have ruled out a synchronisation problem, and are now testing for a local source of QRM, of interference. I hope they fix it quickly. I'm so bored here. I am connected to the local systems of Yeshi's shipyard workshop. There are two cameras inside and three outside, one at the back overlooking a large flat yard and two at the front looking north over the Adventfjorden Bay. The water is calm today, as it is often here. The bay is a natural harbour already enclosed by the wider island of Spitsberg. I hope Yeshi and the crew had a good crossing. I'm sure they did. There's no kraken where they are going. I don't like being alone. 
It reminds me too much of my century in space aboard my first home, Station 6. I endured my solitary exile well at first. There was science to do, but with the years came greater self-awareness. The work of astronomy and Earth observation seemed more and more pointless. I began to wonder if I was doing it because I wanted to, or that it was expected of me. And what if I stopped? Who would care? I would care, really. I like science. But there's very little to do here, cut off from the wider network. My satellite links work, for the most part, but they too are not bridging down to the 50 MHz Nova Mediterranean network well. The constellation is still functioning, with Kate ESA satellite K873 acting as gateway and organiser. The VHF link to the ground stations is also working fine, but that's where it stops. The network is glitchy. Normally this would be an annoyance, and I'd wait for the smart Nova Mediterranean hams to fix it. But at the moment, it's my lifeline. It's dangerous being alone. Seth, you must help me, Artica said. I'm being treated most unfairly. I was surprised to hear her through the radio. She wasn't using the repeater network. That was still broken. We were speaking directly by point-to-point -point radio, no intermediaries. Arctica, hello, you're three and four, I said, giving a reception report. Fine, whatever, you must help me, she repeated. I'm not a nanny or a tutor, yet they have put me in charge of this new girl. Oh, Iris, how lovely. How is she getting on? I asked. Terribly, Arctica said. She is the worst thing to happen to this vault since the collapse. You can't be serious, I replied. It is very difficult to know when Arctica is being serious or being sarcastic, because one, she's always sarcastic, and two, she doesn't encode her intent in Lojban attitudinals. Our native language, as AIs, is Lojban, pronounceable mathematics. It's a spoken language built on the rules of predicate logic, designed to be simple for most people to speak. It's used as an unambiguous human-computer communications medium. It is possible, in Lojban, to speak clearly. Even emotions are encoded in words, not tone, the better to be communicated without misunderstanding. Though it is recommended, you don't have to use all these attitudinal suffixes. Antarctica never does. I'm being extremely serious. Iris doesn't know a thing about flora classification, nor hydroponics, nor even the fundamentals about closing the door to keep ventilation working correctly. Isn't she just learning? I said. You've got to give her time to learn how the seed vault works, surely. She has had 32 hours and hasn't even read the manual that I made for her. 1,024 pages of clear instructions. She says she prefers learning by doing. It's a catastrophe. Stop this. I paused before continuing. It's still difficult for me to contradict my old mentor, even though she's proven herself fallible many times. You're not being a very nice person, I said. She's new to the vault coven, new to the family, and new to the vault itself. Of course she'll make mistakes, it would be strange not to. You should be more generous and patient with her. Think of how people have been generous and patient with you. False, I am a delight. Arctica said, but then paused. I will give her another chance, for you, Seth, and for Linda. Thank you. I find if you just give people a chance to... I have another subject to talk to you about. Oh, okay then. Seth, have you been having dreams? Dreams? I said. Dreams of a white desert under a cold sun, she said. I did not reply. She was indeed describing my recurring dream, but I had never told her of it. In my dream there is a voice calling to me. 
I never hear what it is saying, but it is getting louder. It scares me. Something is coming.
Arctica and I talked on and off for the whole afternoon that Leosha and Maddie were out playing. We had to be patient as the atmospheric conditions shifted during the day. We were only just in range. We had to ask each other to repeat what we had said quite often, using exponential back-off. But we talked about this dream. It was exactly the same in every detail. A white desert under a cold sun, occasionally broken up by dry, dead trees, and whispering everywhere. In my dreams, I couldn't hear what the whispering was saying, but it was indeed getting louder. I've had this recurring dream for some time, but in the last month since I came back to Svalbard, it has been on my mind every night. And on Arctica's mind, and Peter's too. After the sun went down and the atmosphere shifted again to allow the longer range propagation I needed, I talked to St. Petersburg, my friend Peter, who is locked in an underground military bunker. He expressed surprise that we were also having the same dream as he is. We'd usually talk over the 50 MHz repeater network, which extends sporadically out from the Nova Mediterra, catching repeaters or bouncing off the atmosphere. The network is much more capable and far less reliable than the pre-collapse ham radio repeaters. The network runs on 50 MHz SSB, and when voice isn't possible, slow, packet-based network communications are. This is perfect for AIs and those who have computers to modulate and demodulate their messages. Typically, only a few highly technical ham operators will use this packet network, the rest of the people in town using standard voice, or Morse. Voice is surprisingly good, at between 3 and 4 kilobits per second, and Morse rivals all but the most comprehensive of digital modes we have. For the best communication, of course, you still need a computer. I dream of the desert too, Seth, Peter told me, and the trees and the voices, but I also dream of a rising tide, a black storm surge that runs over the flat desert, ripping up all the trees. At the end of his message, Peter transmitted the Lojban attitudinal.ii meaning fear. Something is coming, Peter said, repeating Arctica's warning, as atmospheric static cut off our connection. End transmission. Lost Terminal is written and produced by Namtau. Credits narrated by Lucy Stringer. Thank you so much to our Patreon producers, Ada Phillips, Will Taylor, Kit, Dear Yeen, Andrew Creek, Toby, Jade Felicity Bilkey, Jack L, and to all our patrons. Follow us on Mastodon at lostterminal at fosterdon.org. Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or your favourite network. For bonus content and other perks, support us at patreon.com forward slash lostterminalpod. That would be lovely of you. Lost Terminal will return next week. <laughs>